morning, everybody. Welcome. So good to see so many faces here with us today and familiar faces, many of which I haven't seen in a number of years and very, very happy to see once again what a privilege it is to be here with the family of Marge and Gil Gunn. And I just want to give thanks to God and thanks to you all for the privilege of being able to have this service here in this church where Marge and Gil have been such an important part of our, the life of our church for so many years. They first started coming to this church not very long after I was born into this world. So they've known, they've known this church for most of its history, and I've, I've been coming to this church since I was a student in high school back in the 1980s, and I've never known a time at this church when Gil and Marge weren't a part of the family here and part of the body. So what a privilege it is to be able to be with you all here today to exalt Jesus Christ and to remember the great grace of God and to remember Marge's life and all of the ways in which she impacted our lives in this world. So we're grateful. We're grateful and we're praying for you, especially today, Gil. We know you miss your bride an awful lot. Let me open us with a word of prayer this morning. And if you've had a chance to get a program, if if not, make sure you grab one because the service is laid out for you here in the program. All of the words to the scripture readings and also the hymns that we'll be singing together are all included here in the programs. And so you won't need anything besides those as we go on. Let's pray today and then we'll read Psalm 23 together. Our God and our Father, how grateful we are for the privilege and the opportunity of of coming together as your body, as your people, in your house on a day like today where our hearts are grieving, where we feel the sorrow and the pain of loss. Uh, Father, but we are so grateful that we are able to grieve with hope, not as those who have no hope. We give you thanks today, Father, for the great hope that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ of the eternal inheritance that has been laid up for us all in Him. We praise You that He is our brother, that He is our Savior, that He is our King, that He by His blood has washed us clean from our sins and reconciled us to You and made peace between God and us. And Father, that in that truth we have been adopted as children of God and given this great inheritance of heaven, of glory, of eternity that is a sure inheritance. And Father, that the Holy Spirit has been given us as a guarantee of. And we give you praise for that great hope today as we come to remember the life of Marge Gunn. And as we revel in the great reality, even in the midst of our sorrow, that today she is face to face with you. Today her faith has become sight. Today, Father, she is before the very throne of grace in the heavenlies, She is amid that myriad of angels that surrounds your throne and sings your praise in festal gathering, and that that is her inheritance, and that that is her destiny, that is her life, that is her place for endless days, and that one day we will be there with her too. So Father, we praise you for the good comfort of your word. We praise you for the good hope that you give to us and the encouragement that your word is to us. And we pray, Lord, this day that you would glorify yourself as we come and gather to remember and to proclaim. We say these things in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's read together from God's word here. You just listen as I read these wonderful words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. And all of God's people can say, Amen. 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 Let's all stand together if you're able. If you're not comfortable standing today, that's okay too. But we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer together. saying that a grandparent is a little bit parent, a little bit teacher, and a little bit best friend. And these sentiments couldn't ring truer about anyone than my grandmother, Marjorie Anna Cook Gunn. For almost a hundred years, she's blessed many, many people in the communities that she's been a part of. And for the last 81 years, she's been blessing them alongside my grandfather, Gil Gunn. I, like you, look forward to telling my family and my friends and my children many stories and memories about Marge. When I tell people about her 99 years of life and her 81 years of marriage, they're always inevitably in shock. A few years ago, I took a picture of them together, holding a picture of them together from 60 years prior when they were in Hawaii. I shared it online. Thousands of strangers loved this picture. And even some of them commented on the love that was apparent that they shared. Even strangers knew about their love. She was the epitome of a wise matriarch. Any question about who run this family, you can just, it can be answered by asking Grandpa about his diet for the last 80 years. I know you don't really love the broccoli. 
She was brave, beautiful, kind, loving, and caring. She held dear her family, her friends, her neighbors, her church family. She spent the last few decades opening her home to friends and relatives, whether they needed the place to stay or if they just wanted to come see Grandma and Grandpa. Their house was rarely empty in the summer. And in fact, throughout the year at times, it was rarely empty. I spent many summers at Grandma's in my childhood. And as I got older, I spent less time visiting California and more time visiting Grandma and Grandpa. And while she was a person of opinions, you could not help but know that she loved everyone unconditionally. And you had to recognize that her spirit was in helping everyone around her and in making sure you made the best decisions in life. I remember our times at the beach in their RV, making homemade jam, sitting in this church with them. Her buttermilk pancakes, grocery shopping at Safeway, grazing at Costco, <laughs> communing over a meal at their dinner table, having barbecues on their back patio, watching the Warriors win, <laughs> talking about the biblical passage that they were studying at the time, having clam chowder on the wharf, church service in Mount Hermon, visiting the boardwalk, but most importantly, learning about family. A few years ago, we brought my daughter here as we had done before, and this time she was almost three. And so she had a lot more personality, a lot more life, and she would sit with Grandma. She would sit on Grandma's lap. She would, Grandma would read to her. They would hold hands and walk across the driveway and down the street together. Even at three years old, my daughter couldn't help but be drawn to the love that Grandma just ceaselessly poured into everyone around her. One of my fondest memories in recent years with them on the same trip, which was the last trip that I had with them prior to all the virus and all of this, we went to a local restaurant and we were all in the Honda Civic and my wife and I are in the front seat. My daughter is at the time in the car seat and in a rear facing car seat, which seemed to take up half of the seat of their <laughs> Honda. And then Grandma and Grandpa were squeezed like sardines next to her. And it was so tight in the back of the Honda Civic that they couldn't buckle themselves. So all they could do was get in and fit. So then I would have to wait for them to get in and I'd have to pull Grandpa this way, help Grandma pull the seatbelt, find the buckle, get it in, kind of push her that way, get him in. And when we left the restaurant, we, we, she, I, I, went, I pulled over Grandma, I pushed over Grandma, pulled over Grandpa and pushed over Grandma a little. And she starts cackling. She just starts laughing hysterically. And then I start laughing hysterically. And I'm not sure why we're laughing, but we laugh and we laugh. And just as soon as she'd pull over the belt, she'd start laughing and she'd let it fly back to where it started. And we would laugh and laugh and laugh. Her laughter was contagious. She had such a giving heart from people like me who needed help at times in life to the church, furthering God's kingdom, or supporting missionaries around the world. She gave the way we, she was called to give and that we're called to give and she loved the way that we're called to love. One of my favorite things about Grandma was the way she cared. She wholeheartedly cared about everyone else. And whether you were immediate family or extended family, if you married into the family, 
or even if you were just friends of the family, she wanted to know every detail about your life. And, and, and she listened in, in such a way that you knew she cared. And she listened so that she could follow up later and find out more details about your life and how your life had progressed towards the things that you had talked about the last time that you had shared time together. And so she could, of course, tell everyone else about your life and, uh, that, she, that she came in contact with. She, she, she cared and listened in a rare way, and you just knew she wanted to know more about you. And she lived compassionately. She loved life. She loved Grandpa. She loved her faith. She loved the Lord. And she clung to her faith in a more disciplined way than I've ever experienced firsthand. My grandfather, my grandfather expressed in his autobiography, which he wrote several years ago, he expressed that at the time they no longer had any energy. They were in their 90s. They no longer had energy to continue house projects to work on the yard, to go outside and start something new. But he said there's one advantage to this, and the advantage was that they could spend hours and sometimes half of their day in their kitchen fully attentive to their devotions and to the Lord. And when I asked him about it, he expressed regret that he didn't have more energy to spend every day Attentive to the Lord. The last sentence in his autobiography reads, God has been so gracious to give me a wife who believes like I do and who loves the Lord with all her heart. I know we can all agree today. God has been so gracious to allow us to have known and be touched by Marge Gunn. I'm confident that her legacy will live on in our hearts, in our thoughts, and in the stories that we'll share with everyone that's in our life. And while she's now in paradise, she'll forever be in our hearts. We love you, Grandma.
the 116th Psalm, there's a verse that we like to put out on our sign by the highway whenever a dear friend of ours and family member of our church dies and goes to be with the Lord. And that verse, Psalm 116, verse 15, says very simply, how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Sometimes we get questions about that verse from people in the community. They'll call and they'll ask what the wisdom is behind saying that death is precious. They have trouble wrapping their minds around that and and getting their hands around that concept that death is precious because it doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel precious. Well, the psalmist says how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the reason why it's so precious to the Lord when one of his saints, one of his people, one of his redeemed one of his beloved children dies is because the Apostle Paul tells us very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 that for us to be absent from our bodies is to be at home with the Lord. And so I know it's painful when people die. It's painful for me. It's painful for you. It's especially painful for the loved ones, the family who have been so close for so long and for whom the loss stings so much. The comfort is in knowing that even though Marge isn't here with us anymore on this earth, she's at home. She's in her truest home because she is in the presence of her Lord and her God. And so the Word of God, praise God, gives such good comfort, such important encouragement in times like this where we have lost somebody that we love and we are feeling the sting of that loss. Jesus, just before he died, was preparing for his own death that he knew was coming in a matter of days. And as hard as it was for him to cope with the reality as a human being that he would face what he would face on the cross... He knew that it would be even harder for his disciples who struggled in their faith and in their understanding in ways that he did not. So he needed to prepare his disciples for his departure. And he did that in part in John chapter 14, where he simply said to his disciples these words, let not your hearts be troubled. Death is troubling to us. The prospect of losing somebody that we love troubles us. The reality when it happens troubles us and that's normal. And yet Jesus had encouragement for his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Here's how you can cope with the troubling reality of death when you feel the troublesomeness of it. He says, believe in God and believe also in me. Faith in God. Faith in God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ is the only way to have hope in this world at all. And especially given the hard realities of suffering and death in this world. Trust in God. Trust in Christ. He says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You need to understand the reality of the ancient world that Jesus was living in. And one distinction that gives meaning to those words from our world today, our modern world today. In our world, most commonly, children grow up having been raised by their parents. And they're encouraged quickly by their parents often to leave the nest. Get out of my house. Go now and make your own way in the world Buy your own house, raise your family there, and then come visit us once in a while. In the ancient world, that's not usually how it worked often. Most often, mom and dad would build their house. They would raise their children. And as their children came of age to marry themselves and raise their own families, the father would very often, and this still happens in various parts of the world today, the father would very often simply build an extra room onto the house for the new family. And it wasn't untypical in the ancient world for houses, literal structures, to simply grow that way. 
and get bigger and bigger and bigger. You can see the foundation stones of some of them, the ruins of some of them still in certain parts of the world, including Israel, where the, the oldest foundation stones are in the center and then out from that and out and out and out. The household grew bigger and bigger as the family grew larger and larger and all dwelt together in the Father's house. This is what Jesus is promising to his disciples. Most of us are familiar with the old King James English of John chapter 14 where Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. And so we we like to think and have thought as children all growing up that the big hope that is laid up for us when we get to heaven is that we're going to have our own mansion in the sky. Now it's going to be awesome. It's going to be spectacular. Whatever God's house is, it's not like my house. There will be opulence. There will be splendor that this world cannot compare to in any way, shape, or form. But that's not the real hope. The real hope isn't the opulence or the splendor or the mansion. The real hope is that when we get there, we will have a room in the Father's house. That we will be at home because we will be in His presence. And that will be an uninterruptible reality. Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the hope. That's the reality. That's what we walk by faith in, in this world and during this life. It's tempting to to put our greatest hope in the things that we can see because we can see them. And we tell ourselves, I know they're real because I can see them. But God tells us that faith is greater. It's, It's better to have assurance in the things that we cannot see, which is what faith is, than to put our full confidence in the things that we can. And so what we know by faith is that Marge Gun is home. It doesn't feel like it because it feels like home is here in Mount Hermon, in Santa Cruz, in this world. But her home, her truest home, is in the household of God, is in the room that Jesus went before her to prepare for her. And that's where she's living now. That's where she's dwelling now. And Jesus says, there's coming a day where I will return for all of you and take you all unto myself so that together we can all be family in the Lord. And that leaves the question that the disciples had in their minds of, well, if you're going there to prepare this place for us, how are we going to find you? How are we going to know the way to get there ourselves? So Thomas asks in verse 5 of John 14, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus simply says, I am the way. And this is where his famous words are recorded. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only hope in this world, in this life. He's the only truth that makes sense of anything in this world and in this life. He's the only way to the Father, faith in Jesus and what He did to reconcile us to God, to make peace between us and God through the blood of His cross, shed to cover all our sins. That's the only way to the Father. Apart from Him, there's no hope, there's no truth, there's no way, there's no reality. There will be no life. If you have known Me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him if you know me, Jesus says. Good words of hope, strong, powerful words of hope that God gives us and that Jesus gives us in the gospel. That through faith in him, we have hope of knowing the Father, of being reconciled to the Father. We've been given such a love that we can be called children of God, having been adopted by him and given an inheritance that is eternal in heaven. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul would also want to give us hope in the light of the reality of physical death. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, and he uses this word for physical death. He says, 
We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. He's, He's talking about death. He's talking about somebody having not just fallen asleep or even fallen into a coma, but, but having died physically in this world. But he uses the word asleep because he wants us to know and to be sure and to be confident that death is not the final story. Physical death is not the final chapter. It's not the final word. It's not as if when we die, we just cease to exist. Now, we are people created in the image of God who exist as both body and soul, and our bodies temporarily are dwelling, or our souls rather, are dwelling temporarily in these bodies which are destined to return to the dust in this world. After which, they will either go to be with the Father if we have known Jesus, or they will know an eternity of the Father's judgment. But Paul gives us this hope. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. A lot of people don't have hope in this world, don't have a foundation for hope in this world because they try to anchor their hope to the things that we can see, the things that we can touch, the things that we can hear, the things that are physical around us. But as Ecclesiastes would remind us, none of those things are worthy of bearing our hope because... None of those things can last or do last. I mentioned on Sunday morning that I was privileged to be a part of another funeral service earlier in this week over in Santa Clara at a, at a very large cemetery. And as I was walking down to the gravesite from where I had parked my car, I passed hundreds, thousands, countless headstones in this cemetery. All of them made either out of concrete or hewn out of granite or some other kind of rock so that they would be permanent memorials of whoever they were there to preside over. But the thing is this, that they were very, very old gravestones and I could tell they were very old because all of them were crumbling and starting to deteriorate, and I was reminded that nothing in this world lasts forever. Only God is eternal. Even the the headstones crumble and return to dust. We can't anchor any of our hope ultimately to the things in this world, even to our own lives, because they don't last that long, and ultimately in light of eternity, they're just a blip. And if you do amass wonderful things in this world, when you die, you... You have to leave them here. You can't take them with you. Job said, I came into this world naked and I will leave it naked. I won't have anything to take with me. The only thing you'll have is what God has laid up for you through faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ. And if you know that hope, then even as you grieve the loss of loved ones, you don't grieve as those who have no hope your grieving can be balanced by the hope that God gives. Here's how he describes it. Paul says in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, For since we have believed that Jesus died and rose again, even so, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep, who have physically died. For this we declare to you, By a word from the Lord. It's not speculation on Paul's part. It's not his imagination. This comes straight from God. That we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord, when Jesus returns from heaven, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, who have died and been buried in the ground. Here's what he means. He explains it for us. For the Lord Himself will return. He will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, those who have been buried in the earth, will rise from the dead. Physically, bodily, visibly. And they will do so first before the people who are still alive at that time, will will be changed. 
Then, after the dead are raised, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Fulfilling what Jesus had promised his disciples back in John 14. I I will come and gather you all unto myself. And so, we will always be together with the Lord. That's the hope. That one day, our bodies even will be made immortal. Our bodies even will be made imperishable. Incapable of suffering. Incapable of disease. Incapable of deterioration or decay. Incapable of death. Death will be swallowed up in victory, Paul says. Death will be swallowed up by life, Paul says. And that is a life that is everlasting. And Paul says here, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I hope they're encouraging to you today. Because I know most of you, and I hope it's all of you, know the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him know the Father. And so know this hope of the eternity that is laid up for us in the glory and the presence of God in heaven. And if you don't know that hope, because you don't know Jesus, then I would plead with you, to find Him, to follow Him, to trust Him. Because all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. He Himself says. Now if you'll indulge me one more passage of Scripture here. One of my very favorite passages in all of God's Word is in Revelation chapter 7, which gives us a glimpse of this hope that Marge has inherited and is enjoying now and will enjoy for eternal days. The Apostle John is given a vision. He says, I looked and behold, I saw a great multitude that no one could number. Huge crowd. Too vast in some to count. People from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, every ethnicity, every, every color, every background you can imagine, all gathered Together, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. And they were all clothed in white robes. And they all had palm branches in their hands, which was a a symbol of victory. Of triumph. And crying out with a loud voice, they all sang, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb who is Jesus Christ. And all the angels were standing around the throne. And all around the angels, the elders of heaven and the four living creatures, and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the heavenly elders addressed John and asked, Who are these, this multitude, this countless number of people from every tribe and nation who are clothed in white robes and from where have they come? John says, Sir, you know. Don't ask me. You're the one who knows. And so the heavenly elder explains to him, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation which is this life, which is life in this world. It's not easy, is it? It's painful, isn't it? It's hard. It's full of trials. Jesus says, in this life, you will have tribulation. He says, through much suffering, we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, as you're running through this race of life that is difficult, if you keep your eyes fixed on my son Jesus who is not only the author of your faith, but also its finisher, then you will run the race with endurance, even though it will be hard and brutal and trying and painful. The people that John sees in Revelation 7 are the ones who ran with endurance, who didn't give up and say, I can't finish this race, who didn't fall down by the side of the, of the road and, and, and refuse to get up, but... But when God reached down and said, My child, I give you the strength, now stand and continue to run, they did that. Marge did that. For 99 years, Marge did that. 
She wasn't perfect. None of us are. She wasn't sinless, even though it may have seemed comparatively to some of us like she might have been. But she ran with endurance all the way to the very end. She endured all the tribulations and trials and hardships and sufferings of life in this world. And she finished the race. And so she's there. She's, she's where John, see, she's part of that multitude. She's one of the faces in that un, unnumberable crowd. John says, all of these have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Their sins have been forgiven. There's nothing that bars them access into the presence of God forever. And therefore, they are before the throne of God. And they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He, God, who sits on His throne, will shelter them with His own presence. And so they shall hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. And the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. No more suffering of any kind. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, will guide them to springs of living water forever, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that beautiful? There's nothing on this earth that can even come close to comparing with that kind of hope that is found through faith in Jesus Christ and that is realized by running the race with endurance in His strength and by His grace alone. And Marge has realized that hope and run that race and finished it and is in the presence of her shepherd, sheltered from all suffering, every tear wiped away from her eye. And one day, through faith in Christ, together we will all be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank You for this hope. We thank You for the sure promises of Your Word that are anchored entirely and indelibly to Your faithful character and nature. And we pray. God, would you give comfort, would you give hope through these words and these truths today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your program again and let's turn to how great thou art.
from God's Word this morning to give us firm hope and comfort in His grace, and then we'll close our service by singing Amazing Grace. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us, For this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing Amazing Grace.
Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Go in grace and be blessed.